Thanks for listening today to the Chack Insider Podcast. I'm here with Paul and Jeanette Fields. Paul and Jeanette have been around uh, Community Heights for, well, they're going to tell us in just a minute. Uh, but you may know Paul and Jeanette, and I hopefully by the end of this episode, you know them a little bit better. Paul and Jeanette, welcome to the Chack Insider. You guys are going to be famous after this appearance. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So, Jeanette, you, t- you, you speak first. Tell me how long you guys have been at Community Heights, and how is it that you happen to come to this church? We started here in 1976. Ooh. We were invited by our next-door neighbors. We were beginning to look at different churches. And we knew they were leaving for church same time we did. Okay. So we talked to them about where they were going. And they invited us to a Sunday evening service. They had done a centennial program Hmm. that they were redoing on that Sunday night. And we came and were here that night. And we really enjoyed it and enjoyed meeting the people and started coming. You came during the bicentennial and you've never left. Right. Except for two years when Paul was sent to Michigan. Sentence, did you say? Sent. Oh, sent to Michigan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And I remember 1976, I remember as a kid, I was 13, and as a kid we went on this field trip to to tour the Freedom Train that was traveling around the country, Mm -hmm. and you got this little thing, speaker that you listened to as you went through, and it told you all the stuff about the 200 years of the country. But you guys have been here... Wow, that's uh, that's let's see, seventy six, twenty four, and eighteen is forty two years. That's a long time. Long time, Jeanette. After forty two years in the church, and you've been in the belly of the beast. You've worked in the office. You've worked with staff on the good days and the bad days. Are you like more hopeful today, or less hopeful for the church? More hopeful. You're not like jaded or like bitter or resentful or anything. No. No, I think the thing that impressed me the most was it was eye-opening for me to see what pastors are up against in their ministry at any church, I'm sure. But it, just being in the office day-to-day, you saw what was going on and, and how they handled things. And You preach it, sister. Tell it like it is. <laughs> Tell these people how difficult. This is not easy. No. I mean, I may make it look easy, but this is not easy. <laughs> Oh, man. Not when you've got a whole congregation that all has a different viewpoint. Yeah. 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 So can you give a, can you give like just like one, one example, like one story from the past of something that you saw or something that happened where you saw the pastor, you, know, you don't have to give a name or one of the pastors like handle it well or not or whatever? Boy, that takes some thinking. I'm not really sure of a time. I'd have to think on that a while. You, you've got them all in your mind. You're trying to think of which one you can let out. <laughs> <laughs> so 42 years because a neighbor invited you. Right. Okay, so everyone, let's remember that, right? People go to church because of a personal invitation. Yes. Think about your neighbors. Maybe one of your neighbors would just come if you would just ask. But the suggestion is to build a relationship first and then ask. So you invest in them personally and then invite them to come with you. Paul, do you remember the first time you came to uh, Community Heights? Do you remember that first service that night, or is it a distant memory? 
No, I I definitely remember the uh, first opportunity that we had coming here. And you might say in the back of our minds, the Lord is putting in our heads, you know, maybe we need to start looking because our uh, the church that we were attending did not have anything for youngsters. Hmm. So therefore, we knew that we was probably going to have to make some changes if we was going to have something for our two children. And at that time, I was even on the board. And uh, after that one evening, I think it was the next week, I went and resigned from the board, and we made the transition from that church to this church. Plus, uh, the friendliness of the church was absolutely overwhelming, even that Sunday evening. And it just continued to grow from there. I definitely remember our first visit. That's cool. That's cool. So um, where did you guys grow up? I mean, did you grow up in the same general area or, or different places? I grew up on a farm west of Marshalltown. Okay. So close by, not close that by. far. Mm-hmm. So you're a farm girl. Yes. Did you have to do chores? Oh, yes. Did you ever milk a cow? Oh, yes. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. A real cow. A real cow. You know what, Jeanette? I've never milked a cow. Well, go to the fair. I <laughs> go to the fair. <laughs> and how about your siblings in your family? I had two older sisters and a younger brother. Okay. So you were the third sister, but you weren't the baby of the family. No. That means you had to still had to milk cows. Well, some. Some. Two <laughs> older sisters, you know, you kind of get pushed back. Yeah, yeah. Chickens were usually my job. Well, what would you do with them? Gather eggs. Okay. Uh, we raised them from babies and butchered them and froze them. And wow! Yeah. Did you ever like butcher a chicken? Like cut the meat off it and stuff? I watched. Oh, you watched. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you really want to eat it when it was on the plate? I did. <laughs> <laughs> so a younger brother and two older sisters. And did you go to college? No. No. Mm-hmm. And and how did you happen to meet this guy? I was friends with his cousin, Nancy. Nancy and I were in the same, we graduated from Marshalltown. And they had a large family gathering every Sunday night. And so I would go with Nancy to, it was at Nancy's house, and Paul would be there. And a couple of times he was with another girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So it was probably two years before he called and asked for a date. Well, hey, save the best for last, right, Jeanette? Right, right. There was a story, though, behind that, because my sister, one evening after we had been down to the Dunn family, that was my in-laws, or my mother's side of the family, she came home and she says, it's time for you, Hoop, that was my nickname, to quit robbing the cradle and to call Jeanette. And that's what started it all. I did give up the girl I was dating, and I called Jeanette, and I was in junior college in Marshtown. I'm from Conrad. And she answered the phone because she was working at RB Scooter Feeds in Marshalltown at the time. And I says, this is Paul Fields. And I'll never forget her response. Who? (laughs) (laughs) So that really precipitated my moving on, you know. But we started dating back in 1968. 66. In 1966. Do you remember that call? No. You don't remember it? No. You didn't remember his name or who he was at the time either? took me a while. <laughs> <laughs> Had you guys not seen each other in a while at that point when you made that call? No, it was probably family dinners because we, the Dunn side of the family, because we went to church in Albion, and that's where most of the Dunn relatives were at, and we would always have our noon meal, and we would go home, my dad and my brother and I, and do chores, and then we'd come back for an evening meal. 
If Nancy was there, Jeanette was usually tailing it along several mm. times. You know, okay. So I think she met all my old girlfriends. So. So nineteen sixty six, and you got married. Sixty eight. In sixty eight, and your first child was born when? Seventy one. Seventy one, and where did you live then? I was in college in University of Northern Iowa, and I got my draft notice because of Vietnam. Okay. And I had elected to enlist in the United States Air Force instead of being drafted, so that's what I did. They told me the earliest I would probably get in would be December of 68. We got married in 29th of June of 68. I got a call within a few weeks, and they say, Paul, we've got an opening for you July 30th. Are you ready to go? Wow. And I thought, uh, I've got a new bride here. You know, So we talked it over, and I elected to go. And from there, we went to Alaska. Ileson Air Force Base in Fairbanks, Alaska, that was considered overseas duty. My job description was administration in the hospital. Seen some good things. I seen a lot of sad stories because of men and women coming back from Vietnam. Hmm. They would stop and have a layover there, and we'd bring them into hospitals. So it was sad, but I learned a lot and uh, met some great people. Was there an army uh, facility there in, in Fairbanks? There is. It was Fort Wainwright. Yes. That, my dad spent 22 months there. Is that right? Yep, he did, in the early 50s. Yeah. Yeah, during the Korean War. Okay, yep, yeah. So you were, you guys were there for how long? And you were there, Jeanette, mm-hmm. in, in Alaska with him? Yes. We was there for 18 months. 18 months. Mm. How did, Jeanette, how did you handle that? That's a tough call for a new bride. I went to work. <laughs> you went to work. Yeah, but the days were like 23 and a half hours long there for a while. And for a lot longer, they're about four hours because <laughs> it's dark all the time. Yeah. But, yeah. But you kept busy. Tried to find things to do. They recommended getting out because of the darkness. Right. So right. you'd go to movies. or And that was this... That was the biggest issue we had in the hospital was depression during the wintertime. Yeah. And we would have classes, and we'd bring people in from the base and say, okay, you've got to get out. Well, it was very hard when you go to a movie, and they have to have an intermission. You go out and start your car. So it would start at the end of the movie because it was, you know, 60 below, 40 below, you know. So I must say, though, it was probably one of the best things that I would say Jeanette and I could have done for our marriage due to the fact we were— separated from mom and dad right you know right. we were on our own and we had to discuss and talk things over and fortunately you know the lord was with us and took us to a church and yeah and then even being on base all the time i had some great people to work with so interesting well jeanette sometimes in in the younger generations they can complain right about tough situations and tough things i can't imagine Anything much? T- I mean, there are tougher things, but it's pretty tough getting married and then moving to Fairbanks. I mean, even Anchorage would have been a lot better, right? A lot it's warmer. A, a lot warmer. <laughs> Big difference between Fairbanks and Anchorage. Yes, yes. That's that's amazing. So so there you go. None of you knew that Paul and Jeanette spent eighteen months of their first what two years of marriage, mm-hmm. right, in Fairbanks, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's crazy. So when you came back, what did you come back to? 
when I was reassigned, I came back to Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha. Okay, close. And I was at the hospital for two years in administration of the hospital. And uh, one thing that we was introduced to a gentleman when we was in Alaska by the name of Bob Ross, the joy of painting. Maybe you guys have seen him. Oh, right, right. But anyhow, the day we left Alaska, we hugged each other and says, probably never see you again. He fortunately got to join us in Omaha. So we came the best of friends for three plus years, I guess it was. Fortunately, he come to know the Lord. I didn't know that until afterwards, but it was just a great, great opportunity. And working at the hospital, and one of the key guys that had an impact on my life was Chaplain Kelly. The chapel for the Air Force Base was right across the street from the hospital, and he would stop probably three days a week. He'd stop in and see me, and we'd sit there and talk. And, you know, I could go on tours with him once in a while and see the patients. But he had a big impact on my life because I come to know the Lord when I was 10, but it became a real recommitment in 1970, and uh, he definitely helped me a great deal, uh, Chaplain Kelly. So I appreciated the Air Force and the friends we got to know, and uh, Jeanette and I got to know uh, Bob and Vicki Ross, and it was just tremendous. And Jeanette, when did you come to Christ? That would have been in 1967. My Folks were not Christians. We didn't go to a church as a family. Through Nancy, um, I had gone to church with her. It was the same church that Paul went to. And I knew there was something different about the people there. And it was after Paul and I started dating. And there was, uh, it was July. And kids had been at camp and came back and were telling some of the stories. And the pastor gave an invitation. And I went forward and accepted Christ as my Savior. And how old were you? I would have been 21. Oh, so a little bit, a little bit older than mm-hmm. Paul, mm-hmm. and probably pretty meaningful yes. for you yes. at the time. You knew what decision you were making, right? And do you, do you remember how you felt after that? Was there joy? Was there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that you had a relationship with God, right. whereas before you weren't sure. Mm-hmm. You know, those of us who've been believers since we were kids, and I was nine, eight, nine, ten years old. Let's see, eight years old. It's hard for us to remember back then and the feeling before versus the feeling after. So that's that's really interesting. How many children do you have, Paul? We have two children. We've got a daughter, Dana, and our son, Craig. And and where where do they live and what do they do? Our daughter Dana lives in Michigan. And she works for, used to be Sandovic, don't even know the name of the company now. And she is the engineer that does a lot of the selling part. She's not an engineer, but she sells a lot of the cutting tools and stuff like that for Sandovic's. And our son is in Bettendorf, and he's a human resource director for MSA, which is out of Baraboo, Wisconsin. And they just do a lot of work for municipals. And uh, he's in charge, covers five different states, and he's responsible for the personnel in all the offices. And Jeanette, what uh, what have you done here at Community Heights that's been really like meaningful to you? That's been uh, that has impacted you a lot. You feel like you've contributed to the ministry of the church. Well, over the years, I guess working here was a ministry. Uh, enjoyed getting to know the people. What What did you do? 
I was a church secretary. From when to when? Do you remember? 1982 to 2005. Okay. So for a few years. And <laughs> yes. in the in the early years, you were church secretary. Right. Right? Right. And then at some point, it morphed into what we today call church administrator or administrative assistant. Yes. Or something like that. Tell us about those early years. What was that like back in the 80s? Yes. Um, I worked three hours a day, five days a week. Had a electric typewriter. Oh, you never used the manual here, huh? No. Nope. Oh, you were spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> we had um, no copier. You had a gestetner and a stencil maker. You would type up the bulletin on a piece of paper, transfer it to the stencil maker. It would burn the stencil. Then you put the stencil on the gestetner with the black ink printed them out that way much slower process and that's the that's the got the big wheel on it right and it big would like drum. yeah the big drum would crank around it would crank it would, it would pop those things out you didn't have to turn the crank it was automatic right right so at least there was an improvement there it was loud though wasn't it <laughs> yes it was loud yeah we had one of those in in orange city when i got there they were still using it actually <laughs> yeah yeah i actually used back in the uh early early 80s, maybe three years earlier than that, a, a mimeograph machine at a church in Indiana. It basically took up the whole room. It was, it was like almost like a printing press type of a thing. And you would cut a stencil mm-hmm. and similar thing. And it was this funky blue yes. ink. Yes. Kind of like how print, when there's a link to it, it's got a, a blue color and you can click on the link on the computer. Um, it had a funny blue ink. Yes, and messy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Very messy. So what did you do for the pastor? I mean, so you did the bulletin. Answered phones. You answered the phone. Mm-hmm. She trained him. She trained the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> Who was the pastor here when you started? Peter Bergen. I don't think I've heard that name. Let's see. He passed away about a year and a half ago. Went to Montana, and that's where he retired. He was up there quite a few years. So I thought there was a Hoover, a pastor Hoover. He was here when we first started coming. And then David Pressure wasn't after him, huh? David Pressure was a youth pastor here first. Okay. And then Peter Bergen was here as the senior pastor. And I believe at that time, Pastor Dave Pressure was at Osage as senior pastor. Okay. And then when Peter Bergen left, Pastor Dave came back as senior pastor. And then over the next nine or ten years that he was here, the church grew a fair amount mm-hmm. from the Yes. 200s to the 300s. And did your job get busier and did you have to work more hours? Yes. I never did work full time. I never did work a 40 hour week. It never got to that point. But the longest was an 830 to 430. And that would have been when Pastor Larry was here. It increased that much. Yeah. And there was a lot going on. Yes. And technology hadn't advanced enough to in the office, right, to, to really take that much time off of your day. It was a big help when we got an actual copier. It wasn't near like what we have now, but it, when we got rid of the Gestetner and just got a copier, that was great. And Paul, you've done, you've done a lot in the church over the years as well, and you've been on the board. That is true. Um, what has been your most fulfilling ministry here? I guess as I look back, the Lord has provided me with the opportunity in many different areas. 
And I think the most rewarding is still the aspect of being able to work with the people, learn from people, always being open to learn. And the other thing is being encouragement with those that you are with. And I I am just so thankful that I've had the opportunity. The Lord has provided me with the gift of administration. And it seems like everything that I've done has always got something to do with the administration. But with the opportunity that I received as the youth director on three different occasions, I believe it was, that's when I really started getting involved heavily with the youth. Now, Jeanette and I, when we started here, we started. We were involved with the Awana group, and that's when we would get on the bus and go over to Berg Junior High and unload and have our Awanas over there. But during all that time, we were being developed as leaders, and from that point on then, it just it just grew from one point to the next. When I became part of the elder group, Bob Barda, he came beside me and says, Paul, he said, I'd like to have you on the elder board. And I guess this is the thing that people sometimes don't realize. People are always watching. You know, we're, we're called to walk, well, to live out the Word of God as we teach and encourage. And people see that. And that's what I continue to tell our small group kids that we have now in a, at uh, every other Sunday is people are watching you continuously. So this small group, every other Sunday, what is that? That is youth, high school kids from ninth through 12th grade. Well, we've got two that have graduated, but they ask if they could come back, so we allow them to come back. But right now we've got, if everybody showed up, we'd have 22 kids on uh, every Sunday. Every other Sunday night, I guess. Sunday nights. And where is this at? Our house. So you got teenagers coming to your house every other Sunday night. And Jeanette, she cooks a meal. And so we always start with the meal. And then we go from there. And they're six to, I don't know, nine. It's supposed to be six to eight. But we love it when they hang around and talk and and just whatever. So I guarantee you so many people didn't know that. They didn't know that you have every other Sunday night yeah. all these students coming to your house. And that, Jeanette, you're feeding them a meal, right? So that's well, that's a lot of food. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's usually a simple meal. Simple, yeah. You're used to it, though. Yes. So what do you do while they're there? Right now, we once we eat, we also have accountability. And this is always done. And this is... You put down between 1 and 10 where you stand on reading God's Word and in time and prayer. And that is always done. We don't speak it. Uh, They just write it on a piece of paper and we hand them in anymore. Then we'll go into our lesson. And the lessons, you know, could be a video series, just different aspects of what God is wanting us to teach at that time. And then we'll always end with 20 minutes or more of prayer. And we'll divide up usually into three different groups. The guys are always together, and the girls, they'll usually divide up because there's more of them. And uh, we spend that time in prayer. So that's typically our evening is uh, divided up about in thirds, you know. So what is nice in the groups write down their prayer requests, and uh, then I have their prayer requests to 
have for the rest of the next two weeks that I can be praying with them. But it's so encouraging. Them kids, they just, they just, they're so loving. Yeah, I just love them to death, you know. And I've always said, you know, if one something happens to one of you, it's like losing part of our kids too. Mm. You know, they are our family. That's for sure. So, well, that's really cool. And Jeanette, you've got more girls than boys, so yes. you get to build relationships with them. And mm-hmm. yep. but aren't aren't you guys too old? I mean, don't they need like young, you know, hip couples? I mean, you guys are like retired old people. Like from a teenager's perspective, <laughs> not my perspective, of course. See, that's, you know, I've always thought that too, and I still do. Is Jeanette and I getting too old for these kids? But as I check around with parents and other adults, Paul and Jeanette, don't stop. Don't stop. I says, yeah, but they look at us as grandparents. That is true. But on the other hand, they share, and we do have a saying in our house. What is said here stays here unless you give me permission to talk to your parents or whatever. And we live by that. And uh, it's just so encouraging, I guess, to see kids come up after the group and they'll want to talk to you or or I'll ask them questions just to do some prodding. Because you can read kids. You can read adults also by just standing and watching and looking. You know, you can figure them out. But you've been working with students now for decades, right? Yes. Decades. And, you know, when I was a, st- when I was a high school, I remember being a high schooler. I did not have a good, really, a good childhood, good high school years necessarily. Um, and I was attracted to adults who had it together and were spiritually minded and could give me some guidance spiritually because I didn't really get that at home. I didn't have in the normal course of my life anybody to get that from. I would have loved to have a couple like you whose home I went to every other week. I would have looked forward to that and thought, man, you know, I I would have said, I want to be just like Paul. You know, I, I would watch. I would learn. I would have looked around your house. I would have watched how you lived. Thought, try to ferret out your priorities just by observing you. So I got to imagine that these kids are doing that. So on behalf of everyone listening who can't say it to you from all of us, thank you. We did have one experience, and probably several in the church have heard this experience, and possibly you have, but we was going to be gone a Sunday, so I'd ask a couple of the students to be in charge, and we just gave them the keys to the house and had the meal ready to go and whatever. This thing might be going downhill rapidly here now. <laughs> <laughs> and anyhow, later on that evening, we would, I got a text, and all it said was 5,000, the number, 5,000. Could you help explain this to me, you know, 5,000. Well, when we got home and I opened the door and we walked in, there was posting notes all over the house. And some of them were absolutely gorgeous. We got a sunroom, and they had looked like stained glass windows. And they had put up 5,000 post-it notes in our house, and it was absolutely phenomenal. And I kept a lot of those post-it notes, and I told them, I, I, one of the kids, I says, now, when the, the day they bury me, I want post-it notes in my casket. Really? You know, it's, wow. Did they say anything on them? They just decorated. decorating. Some, some had names. They made designs. They were on doors. They papered the bathtub stall. 
They had them in hidden places. <laughs> we were weeks coming across post-it notes in various places. They had one on the ceiling that says, I love you, and it was all in post-it notes spelled out. You <laughs> wow. know, it was. <laughs> and crazy. they says, well, we'll come over and help you. I could just sense the love. You know, <laughs> it had been fun to have been there when they was doing it just to see him. They had to take them a couple hours. Yes. Yes, it did. They had to make a run to get more post-it notes. They ran out. And they was there was there a room in your house that didn't have them? I don't think so. I don't think so. They was down in the basement the whole nine yards. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a story. They were inside the dryer. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Now, lesser people would have been annoyed. Was Be honest now. <laughs> was there any level of annoyance? No. None. None no. whatsoever. We just kept laughing and we kept going. We just kept laughing and kept going. And, <laughs> you know, and you could, you could feel their expression, you know, and it was just great. It's okay. great to have students. So let's, let's transition out to something. So you guys have had a storied life. Uh, everything's been pretty easy. You know, success all the way. Graph goes to the right and up the whole time. That's probably not true. What's been your most difficult season in your married life? What things have you... Between the two of us, the most rocky time for us would have been after Paul's mom died and his dad had dementia. And we had him come live with us for two years. Hmm. That was a struggle. How old were you guys then? Our kids were out of the house. Um, it would have been 95. But you were probably in your 40s. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so dad came to live. Were you working at the time? You mm-hmm. would have been yes. at the church? Yes. Yeah. We got him enrolled at Willowbrook Adult Daycare Center. A bus okay. would come and pick him up, and he knew to get on the yep. bus. We, that worked out okay. But that was a tough time. Yeah. Like what, what was tough about it? What, what happened? He didn't listen to us because we're the kids. He's he, the parent. Yeah, he was the dad. And he would remind me every once in a while, he'd grab him by the shoulder and says, son, well, what we're trying to do is says, okay, dad, you need a bath. You need to take a shower or whatever. And he'd remind me, no, I'm the dad. And that's the way it was, you know, so. You had to work through it. But the one thing I must say, though, even with the struggles we had, I don't recall a meal. I always heard my dad get up and look at Jeanette and say, thank you for the meal. Dad always told Jeanette, thanks for the meal. That's the only reason she stayed through those two years. That's probably. (laughs) (laughs) It was a difficult, it was difficult two years. It really was. But on the other hand, there's always good little good things about it. You know, when the kids would come home and they'd get to sit down and talk to Grandpa, and Grandpa would tell stories and stories. Mm -hmm. And if he'd have been someplace else, they'd probably never heard these stories from Grandpa Fields. There he goes again, always looking at the positive side of a very (laughs) negative situation. It was his father, right? Not your dad. It was his father. Yeah. Yeah. So so next week I'm going to go visit my mom, and she's going through some of the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And she's in her own home, but it's, Close to the tipping point. Yeah. The only thing is we don't really know where the tipping point is. Yeah. And the same encouragement we might give to her over those similar things. And she's the mother, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I get to experience that next week and hope that things go go in a positive direction and that my time spent there would be beneficial yep. and 
and not uh, uh, negative. So uh, what what else? What, were there any speed bumps, just life situations or uh, any difficulties where you really kind of tested your faith? There was one that it was probably one of the harder ones for me because in 1980, I believe it was, my company that I worked with, my boss, he says, I would like you to go down and start a facility in Mexico. And I was all gung-ho. I thought that would really be a, a great opportunity. So Jeanette and I flew down to Mexico, down to Puebla, and we got hooked up with missionary couple. And we actually stayed with a missionary couple. And they showed us around where our kids would go to school because they were in junior high at the time and uh, learned more about the opportunities and all this. And we came back home, and I was excited, and Jeanette was saying, no way. So through all my excitement and everything, I even called my dad and says, Dad, here's the opportunity. I told him the story. I says, what do you think? He says, apparently the boss has got a lot of confidence in you, or otherwise he would have never asked. And that's all he said. Fortunately... The value of the peso went down, and we never had to go because Jeanette was just not ready to go. After you look back now, you could see where the Lord worked through this. You know, he made sure that we wasn't going to go. But after that experience and working and, and praying about it and everything, Jeanette did say, if another opportunity arises, I'm ready to go. Unbeknownst to us, we didn't think it would probably ever come. 2005, the question came up again. We want to start a facility in southern United States. So Jeanette says, yeah, I'm ready. So we went to Lafayette, Georgia, and looked down there. Absolutely beautiful country. The people that gave us the tour around the community and everything else were great believers in the Lord. Matter of fact, the one gal was a Sunday school teacher down there. And so we came back, and I reported to our gentleman, who the owner of our company at that time was from India. A few weeks later, I got a phone call. It says, Paul, we're going to go to Michigan, Bay City. And my first thought was, you guys failed United States, America, geography, because Michigan is not in the south. (laughs) Where it's warm. Yeah, where it's warm. (laughs) So anyhow, we moved there from 2005 through 2007, and... uh, for 18 months, I traveled every Monday and Friday back to Kellogg, Iowa. You could just see the Lord working through all this. Uh, but I really can't say we've had a lot of bumpy roads. Mm-hmm. I can think of some when I was younger. Probably one of the hardest one was when my brother was killed at the age of 42. Hmm. And that was, I would wish that not on to any parent is to lose a child at that young of an age. He was older than you? Yeah, he was three years older than I was, You're right? And uh, Thanksgiving Day, 1985, he was with his family, his wife's side of the family, and they were cutting wood after Thanksgiving, and uh, a tree came down, and they thought it turned and spun and landed on him, killed him. And my mother prayed for years that all the children would get past the age of 42. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't know she was doing that. So I asked mom after the whole thing, I says, why 42? Well, her daddy died with a massive heart attack at the age of 42. So that's what she was looking at. But uh, 
But the Lord is always there. You know, it's just regardless of what the events are, you know, you just look back and think, okay, there's a plan for this. And uh, at the moment, most of the time you don't even know what's going on. But after you look back, yeah, there's a real reason for all this. and it's. But the way that affected you is you remember watching your parents. Yes go through it. Yes. It's one thing to lose a brother. It's another thing to lose a son. Yeah. Yeah. I watched last week uh, parents bury their 52-year-old daughter. Mm -hmm. Had a stroke and didn't live for very long and then passed away. And just, oh, it's just heartbreaking to see these parents never imagining that they would be at the funeral of their own child. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jeanette, we're going to land the plane here. Who at Community Heights has impacted you over the years? What people have really made a difference in your lives? Dick and Lola Bergeson were our first Sunday school teachers. Okay. Just learned a lot from them. I would say even, too, Pastor Hoover, uh, when we first started, because um, after being here and hearing the messages, I felt I was finally being discipled. From the time I was 21, it was just church Sunday mornings. You didn't, just weren't involved in discipleship. And so when we came here and we were hearing all these things and being baptized and reading the Bible for yourself, just challenging you there, that were two big ones. How about for you, Paul? Well, as I mentioned before, Chaplain Kelly was a major, and uh, I agree with uh, Jeanette on uh, Dick Burgess and Dick and Lola, and he's the one that prodded me into being a Sunday school teacher because he put his arm around me and he says, Paul, he says, I think you'd be a good Sunday school teacher. I says, Dick, where does that come from? And he says, just from watching and seeing how you handle your life. And I says, Dick, how do I know that I am a good teacher? He says, they will not be bashful. They will tell you. And I said, okay. The second Sunday, I'll never forget, I was teaching adults. And a couple gals came up and says, Paul, you're a great Sunday school teacher. And again, that was just another way. But Dick was great. Bob Barda was good. He just, he was always there. He just had words of wisdom and in his quiet way, you know, which always amazed me. And then another one was uh, Dr. Gary Benedict. When I went to Crown College, I really got to know Gary up there. And he just had a real impact on how to handle situations, because I was responsible for the college for six years. You know, I says, okay, boss, what are we going to do? Come on, Gary. <laughs> I says, you're up here every day, you know. But Gary had a lot of impact on my life also. So it was basically those four people. And then prayer warriors, it was Helen Wade and Shirley Ray, them two gals, just Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, Anytime. They were there. They were our prayer warriors, and they taught us a lot. So what do you hope for the future of Community Heights? What do you want to see at Community Heights 10 years from now? Still preaching the Word. Still promoting missions. Still looking at winning souls for Christ. I I agree to all that. And uh, I would like to see people get committed to helping. And I think some of that, as we had talked earlier, is by changing our leadership of combining it has made an impact because it has reduced the number of people that are in leadership. 
If you haven't figured out, I'm a guy that enjoys the leadership part of it. But as you develop leadership, people start getting involved. They feel more of a part, you know. And I would like to see that start coming back again. And possibly it's out there, but I just don't sense it, I guess, like before. So if you'd had one thing to say to the Community Heights family that listened to this, what kind of encouragement would you want to give them? Right now, I believe I would encourage people to be involved because there's always opportunities the Lord's going to put in front of you. There's people that you can learn from. There's people that will encourage you. And it's just so great to know that you've got a family that believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these people have got the same goals. You know, it's just, it's a large family, you know. So hang on to it. I think getting involved, that way you make more friends. You can be an encouragement to somebody else. Uh, Somebody may need your help. Just appreciate all the people that have done for us over the years. All right. Well, Paul and Jeanette, thank you very much. It was good to have you here in this in this luxurious studio with me. Thank you. Thank you. Another week and one more family. Paul and Jeanette Fields, hey, thanks for joining me on the Check Insider podcast today. If you've never been on the podcast, and that's like, you know, 99% of you listening, let me know or let Kathy Pankton know, and she will schedule you to come on and you can share your story because we are encouraged by each other's stories we're inspired by each other's stories and that's what the check insider podcast is all about and when you come on and even if you're just a listener you definitely are a check insider